If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 67. And as you're turning there, I'm reminded of what we see over and over in the Psalms. Passages such as In your presence, Lord, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Passages where the psalmist cries out and says things like, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Passages such as where where he says, That my my heart may fail, but Lord, You are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but You? And on earth there's none that I desire besides You. You know, last week we, we looked at what the foundation of our mission as a church is and as a people of God. And it's founded on the fact that God is on a mission. We're not just doing our own thing. We're joining Him on His mission. And and in the passage that we're going to look at, we start to see kind of that same idea that God wants to fill the earth with worshipers. And and a question that that I I have to ask us is why, why does God bless us as a church? Or even as an individual? Why does God choose to bless us? And in the, in the council meeting last Sunday, I, was, I left there in awe of God. Because the leaders of the church, we were just talking about how God has blessed us as a church. And, and a question that, that I kept looping through my head is, why does He bless us like that? Why does God bless you? Why does He bless me? And, and, and the answer is, He blesses us so that we might be a blessing. He blesses us so that we can show other people His way and make His saving power known on the earth. And speaking of His saving power, what are we, we know what we're saved from. We know God's saving power. We know that God saves us from something. But a question we don't ask ourselves enough is what is He saving us for? We know that God saves us from hell. He saves us from sin. He saves us from His wrath. But we can't just stop there. We can't be a people that stop there because we have to ask the question, what are we saved for? What purpose? And what we're going to look at and see this morning is we are saved for worship. We are saved, and to kind of flesh that out, we are saved, God saves us so that we might glorify Him. That we might magnify Him, make much of Him. And that is what worship is. Worship is to magnify God and enjoy Him forever. Don't just take my word for it. Through the years, many church confessions have been written where where men who are much smarter than I am have studied the Word and said things like this. Mankind's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so as we're asking the question, what is worship? I think we've got to clarify what it means to magnify God. Because when we talk about magnifying, we could mean one of two things. If you think about a microscope and a telescope, they both do the same thing, don't they? But in very different ways. They both magnify. And so the question we ask ourselves today is, are we worshiping Are we making much of God like a microscope? And if you think about it, a microscope takes something that is tiny 
that we can't see because it's so tiny and it makes it look bigger than it really is. Is that how you worship God? Poor little God, he's tiny and I, I, my life needs to magnify him because he, he needs to look bigger than he really is. Or is your worship like a telescope? A telescope looks at something that is enormous, that is massive, but hard to see because of its distance. And it makes it look to us like it really is. It takes a massive star and it makes it look like it really is to us. Is that how your worship is? Where God is so big, infinitely large, infinitely glorious, infinitely majestic, and we want our life just to say, you know, I want other people to see the bigness of God through the way I live my life. That's worship. It's not just a song. It's not just a church service. It is the way we live our lives. Worship is not just glorifying God, but it's doing it with joy. So have you ever seen somebody there, like, I'm going to glorify God, and I'm just going to do it because I'm out of duty. That's what I'm supposed to do. No, actually, God is glorified in us only when we find our satisfaction and joy in Him. In fact, God has designed us such that He is glorified in us. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's not just about making much of Him, but it is doing it with joy. It's about doing it and enjoying God. Doing it with gladness. And so, how does this tie into our mission? That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of God saving us. But how does that tie into our mission and what we're supposed to be doing? And it's very simple. We are called, our mission is to call others to the One who can truly satisfy them forever. The One who is truly worthy to be worshipped. And so, what is the motivation of our mission? And that, this is the question that we're going to answer the rest of our time here this morning. What is the motivation of our mission? We looked last week at the foundation. This week we're going to say, what is the motivation? What is the fuel behind our mission? A lot of people would say, well, it's compassion. In other words, we see lost people around us and we know that they're going to perish without Christ. And so our compassion compels us. And yes, that's good. But what we see time and time again, if that's your primary motivation, lost people will hurt you, won't they? And the next thing you know, you're being hurt by people and all of a sudden your motivation is gone. I'm not going to share Christ with that person. I don't want to advance the gospel because they just keep hurting me. Maybe your motivation is duty, your primary motivation. Well, this is what God tells us to do and it is my duty to do it. But duty is no motivator at all. Very poor motivator. Instead, what our motivation should be is the very same thing as our purpose. Worship. Our love for God's glory. Our love for His name. This is what one pastor says. He says, you can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare His glory among the nations. 
And not just among the nations, but I'll add to his words and say, if we're not exulting in God, if we're not glad in God, if we're not worshiping and magnifying God with that white hot zeal, Mount Carmel Baptist Church will never have the zeal it needs to reach out to our community. Worship is the motivator. We go because we love God. And that is the main idea this morning. The fuel for our mission is the worship of God. Let's look at the text here in Psalm 67. And if you would please stand with me as we honor God's word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your precious word, Lord. Because your word corrects us. When we step out of line, your word corrects us and it encourages us. And Lord, we live by your word. We are people who sin under your word. So help us, Lord. Help us as we look at your word this morning that we would not walk away from it unchanged. But that we would, we would come away from the word this morning with a fresh zeal and a fresh passion. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do this to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the passage here, we see several ideas of worship. And the first thing that we see is the mission of worship. The mission of worship there in verse 3. And notice there is a phrase repeated twice in verse 3 and verse 5. The same exact phrase. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's repeated twice, in verse, in, once in verse 3 and again in verse 5, because this is the central idea of the psalm. And the central idea is that God is worthy to be worshipped and praised, not just by a few people, but by people everywhere. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And let me tell you, that is the call of every genuine believer. When, when we enter into knowing God, we, by our nature, God puts it on our heart where we, we want other people to know Him too. And the reason why is because we don't worship, we don't know God on an island. We're not just living out our walk with the Lord on some isolated place, but we're doing it in the world. We're doing it around other people with the world looking in. And because of that, our worship, by its very nature, should be missional. It should seek to bring others into it. Truly glorifying and enjoying God wants other people to come in on that. To get a piece of that. And notice that, that the author of this, this psalm is emphatic that it is for all people. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. And he says, yes, let all the people praise you. In, in poetry, he's telling us that it is not just for some people, but it is for all people praising worshiping 
God. I, my mentor was telling a story a few years ago, and he, was a, he and his family were missionaries in Romania uh, over in Europe, and they said that originally they went because they loved Romanians. They initially went because, you know, they thought, well, we have compassion on them, we need to go. And then he, he started describing the horror story of, of what happened. He said that there were times where they would walk out and their tires would be slashed. People of Romania didn't want them there. He said there were times where they would go out and, uh, and there was one time where they had literally gone up and cut their brake line so that they would have an accident. And he said the, the, the time that it just really came to a point was when his son was playing in the front yard and a group of men came up and grabbed his son by the collar while he was just by, playing by himself and, and took their cigarette and pushed it into the back of his neck until he screamed. That's when my mentor said, you know, we may have went there because we loved the Romanians, but what kept us there is because we love God more. What kept us there is not because our love for the people, because they hurt us so bad that it was hard to love them, but what kept us there is because we loved God to the point that we said, Lord, we love you and we want you to be glorified here in Romania. That is the nature of our mission, folks. That is the fuel for it. Because God, listen, God is not just worthy to be worshipped inside these walls. He, he's, not just, he's not just worthy enough to just be worshipped in one place or maybe in two or three churches. But God, listen, His name is holy. His name is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped by people who've never known Him before. He's worthy to be worshipped by the people up Courtleyville Road who don't go to church. He's worthy to be worshipped by, by the people all in these areas that don't go to church, by people who are over in Florine who are addicted to drugs, who don't know the name of God, who are in such a lost place so far from God. He's worthy to be worshipped by them. And church, when we get a passion for God's glory, when we get a zeal and a passion to see His name known, we can't help but say, let all the people here in Sabine Parish praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. And not just in Sabine Parish, not just in Florine, but all over the world. The mission of worship is we want people to enter into the same worship that we have because our God is worthy of it. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we going to our neighbors or do we just think that our God is not really worthy for us to go and cross the road and tell our neighbors? Our God, he's really not worthy enough to, he's not worthy enough for us to go to the grocery store and strike up a conversation. Or us to go to the hunt and lease and, and, and talk to our buddies and, and, and talk about the things of the Lord and, and tell them about Jesus. Because that's exactly what we're doing when we don't tell. That's exactly what we're doing when we don't go. When we're not focused on telling others about Christ, we're basically saying he's not really worthy of it. We see the mission of worship. We also need to see the heart of worship. The heart of worship. And we see that there in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It's never enough just for someone to worship 
without gladness. God is not worshipped where there is no gladness, where there is no rejoicing. And so it's not just enough for the, the people of the earth to sing praises to our God, but the, the, the author of this psalm is saying, they, let them do it with gladness. Let the people be glad. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And let me tell you, the heart of worship, what we see here, the heart of worship is enjoying God. A subjective enjoyment of God. Because listen, God has not wired us so that He gets glory and we just, you know, at our expense. And it's not like, you know, we, we pursue, we want ourselves to be most happy. We want ourselves to, to be satisfied forever. And that is our pursuit in life. And what we see is that God's pursuit of His glory and our pursuit of what makes us happy and our joy actually are one. Because God has wired us where He is glorified when we have joy in Him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, He says. And that is the heart of the worship that we're calling other people into. God is not glorified with duty-filled service. God is glorified with service filled with gladness. God is glorified by people who say, you've put more joy in my heart, Lord, than they have when their wine and grain abound. He's glorified by people who say, whom have I in heaven but you? And Lord, there's no one on earth I desire besides you. He's glorified when we say, Lord, I've tasted and I've seen that you are good. He's glorified when, when, by people who say in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's glorified by people who say as a deer longs and pants for flowing streams, so my soul yearns for you, O God. That is true worship. And folks, that is the fuel of our mission because God's mission is not to destroy the world not to hurt people. God's mission is to make worshipers, and He does that by bringing them into joy and gladness and rejoicing. But not only is that the heart of worship, but that's our call to the lost. It's not just the fuel of the mission, but it's actually what we're telling people, what we're calling them to. The, the fuel of the, or the call of the lost is to be joyful in God. There's not a more shareable message than that. One, one pastor says it this way, what message would missionaries like us, missionaries to Florine, to Mount Carmel, what, more, what message would missionaries rather take than the message, be glad in God, rejoice in God, sing for joy in God? The liberating fact is that the message we take to the frontiers of our parish, of our town, of our city, the liberating fact is the message we take is that people everywhere should seek their own best interest. God, God's first and great requirement of men and women everywhere is that they repent from seeking their joy in other things and begin to seek their joy only in Him. There's no message more shareable than, than the gospel message when you really realize that God is calling people into their own best interest. God is calling people into eternal joy. To drink from the fountain of living water. There's no message more shareable than that. But it would be so sad for us this morning. 
would be so sad for us to see this as the fuel of our mission and yet fail to see it in our own lives. Be a shame for us to say, you know, worship, yes, being glad in God, yes, it's the fuel of, of missions, but not turn to your own heart and examine, well, is that burning passion in me? Do I see God that way? Am I satisfied by God? How can we, and this is just where it really gets pointed, how can we call others to be satisfied by God and find their all in God when we ourselves are unwilling? When we're willing just to trade the joy that He calls us to just for this duty-filled religion, this I, I, gotta, I gotta go to church and going through the motions... Is that your Christianity? Because if that's your Christianity, you're never going to go tell anyone about Jesus. But when, you're, when your relationship with God gets to the point where you're like, this satisfies me more than anything, you're not going to be able to stop yourself from telling other people. It is the fuel. The heart of worship is gladness in God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that God is offering you infinite joy. And he's not, he's not calling you to some dull religious activity. No, God is calling you to come and lay down everything at the foot of the cross. Lay your joys down so that you could pick up one that is eternally better. So that you can pick up one that can truly satisfy you. And ultimately, you know, you hear us talk about sin a lot. Sin is the opposite of that. Sin promises you fulfillment. It promises you something that it cannot ever deliver. It promises that if you just go a little deeper, then you'll finally be happy. And what we're holding out to you and what the God of the universe holds out to you is no, if you lay that down and you come to me, I will give you living water. I will satisfy you forever. We see in this passage the mission of worship we see the heart of worship. And finally, we see the reason for worship. Look with me there in verse 4, the last part. It says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy because you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. The reason for our worship is because our God, our King, is a just and good ruler. That's why things like Psalm 97 say, The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the many coastlands rejoice. That's why Psalm 145 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises all, up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, O Lord, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him and the wicked He will destroy. And we see it all throughout the Psalms and all throughout the Scriptures that God is a good King. That He is good to His people. That He's good to all the inhabitants of the earth. And God is not seeking to do the world harm. He's seeking rather to rule over it in justice. 
And one day, His anointed King that He promises to give His people, the Lord Jesus Himself, will return. His feet will touch the earth. And He will rule over the people with justice and equity. With goodness. With kindness. And those who are in Christ will be a part of that kingdom. You know, I, I, I didn't plan on saying this and going here, but to me, in our, in our climate in America today, our hope is in this king more than it is in any politician. We look and, and we, we think, well, if we just get a, a good you know, leader, well, then all of a sudden all our problems will be solved and we start to hope in, in a leader. And then we, we get one, and then we get another one, and another one, and another one. And what we see over and over is there's no person that's going to be able to fulfill the hope that we put on them. There's no human being that's going to lead people with, with the kind of equity and justice and goodness and righteousness that our King, the Lord Jesus, will. And you might be here this morning hoping in, in, in the political landscape, hoping We'll get a leader hoping that the president or the Congress or the, the governor or the mayor or you know whatever it is, whatever level it is, hoping in them that maybe if they'll just do what's right and be just. And I'm here to tell you today, your hope is in a bad place if that's what you're hoping in. And our hope is in a king who will return and who will rule over us with equity and justice. And because of the goodness of this sovereign king, in control king, we have a reason to worship. We're not just worshiping with gladness for the sake of worshiping. We're worshiping with gladness because he is a good king. He is a good God. The goodness of our God is the reason for our worship. So my question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? He's in control of everything. Do you trust Him? If He is a good King, are you going to entrust your future to Him? Now that's hard. This week was probably the busiest week I've ever had as a pastor. With all the going to the hospitals and, and seeing families and families losing loved ones. And I just think, how God is, in spite of all of this, that God is in control. And that He's good. That He's good. And He knows, even in the pain, even when we're just like, why God are you doing this? He knows what's best. And He works everything for good. One other question is, have you surrendered to Him as your King? You know, we, we talk a lot in this, in this church and in Baptist life of you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, which is true, yes. But Jesus doesn't just want part of us. Our King doesn't, is not just happy with us swearing half of our allegiance to Him and the other half to ourselves. He wants it all. He wants it all because He's worthy of it all. As worthy and as good as our King is, He's worthy, He's worth us giving our all to Him. And have you surrendered to Him? 
Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're holding something back. You're like, Lord, I'll give you all of this, but I'm going to hold this piece back for myself. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're not sure if you're a Christian and you're like, you know, I've never surrendered to Him at all. Let me tell you, He is so good. You can surrender to Him and know that He will bring you joy, that He will give you good things. That, and even, even when the bad comes, that He's weaving it together for good. Have you surrendered to Him this morning? Worship is the fuel for our mission. God is worth it. And we want to make Him famous. We want to make Him known. We see in this passage the mission of worship. Let all the people praise You, O God. Let all the people praise You. We see the heart of worship. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And we see the reason for worship. You judge, you rule the people with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. And this God that we're saying is worthy, listen, is worthy to be responded to. Is worthy for us to respond to what we've heard. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I pray, and I, I want to call you to pray, that God would give you a passion for His glory. That God would give you a passion for making much of Him, for making Him known in the way you live your life. And I pray that God would give you a zeal for His mission of making worshipers. And this is not something that I'm calling you to just pray for to, right now in this service when we sing. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to pray that every day. Because we are fickle, aren't we? We are fickle. We wake up. We change. And, and what we pray one day and the passion we have one day, we may wake up and not have it anymore. We need to pray every day that that would be our zeal. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, God is offering you infinite joy. He's offering you infinite joy because He's solving your greatest problem for you. Whether you know it or not, you are at enmity with God. You're at, at war with God. You're in rebellion against God. But God is coming to you saying, I have solved that problem if you will receive it. I, God came and sent His Son into the world who lived a life that we should have and could not live. A righteous, holy life. He died the death that we should have died. And God put all of His wrath that he, feel, that he has towards sinners on Him. So that all who come and run to the cross will find that their sins are forgiven. And not just their sins are forgiven, but that they're made whole and made right with God. A relationship that brings us joy. Will you receive Him this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that we don't worship a God who's unworthy of it, but we worship a God who is good, who is worthy of every praise. A God who is beautiful beyond compare. A God who is not just worthy for some people to worship, for a church or two to worship, but for everybody in our community and around the world to believe in, to trust in, and to worship.
So Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us a zeal, give us a a burning passion for your glory. And Lord, I pray that the worship and the gladness that we have in you would fuel us to be on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen.